And I think that that's the best way to describe numbness is like this tingly white noise of just like, it sort of disrupts all senses. And so it's just sort of like this, like, it's a, it's sort of like this blockage, like a, like a cloudy sort of tingly, just feeling that, that starts to kind of take over. And so, um, it makes it harder to think. It makes it harder to, to act, to do anything. Welcome to another episode of what it's like to be you. I'm Josh Levine, your host. Today I am sitting with my very good friend, Jamie Eicher. Jamie and I met in my very first Enneagram class over eight years ago. And Jamie's a person that I find really inspiring from an inner work point of view. Jamie, um, we've gone through a lot of classes together, uh, including a two-year program in which Jamie really pushed through his nine passion of sloth and committed in a huge way to his inner work. And we talk a little bit about that in this episode, what that was like for him. Jamie also, having really spent a lot of time with his own inner process, has really great language for what it's like for him when he numbs out, what his experience of anger is, what it's like for him to be in... Actually, uh, let me frame it this way. Jamie has thought a lot about conversational dynamics as a nine, what it's like for him to show up um, with such a comforting, welcoming, receptive presence and how people often find that they can just pour themselves out in his presence, but also the experience of him getting steamrolled by other people and not wanting to interrupt them. A lot of really good stuff here. And Jamie has, as I said, great language for it. Not just that, but also the process that he's gone through to start working on this stuff, what it's like for him to start expressing his anger or to confront people about um, conversational dynamics that aren't working for him, including some of his friendships. So really, really good stuff here from an inner work point of view for type nines. I think this is a really great user-friendly introductory conversation to type nine structure. Jamie's nineness is um, just incredibly clear <laughs> and he's such a sweet and lovely and gentle person. And the way that he characterizes his struggle with nine sloth and numbing out and the way that he has worked with himself, uh, in my view, um, all of the, all the all the above, the whole package is really beautiful and inspiring to me. So I'm really excited for you to meet and learn from my friend, Jamie. One final piece of this to add is that Jamie's full typing is self-pressed social nine with a one wing nine, six, three trifix. So without further ado, here is Jamie. Welcome everyone to another interview. This is my friend, Jamie Eicher, who I met in my very first Enneagram class in Grafton, Illinois, okay. close to St. Louis, almost over actually seven years ago now. And Jamie is a type nine and also a new father as of a few months ago mm -hmm. and a, a very beautiful, uh, what's the word for this? Cinematographer, film guy, photographer. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Filmmaker. Yeah. Filmmaker, video guy, <laughs> yeah, video guy, and um, and I'm really, really excited to talk to you about what it's like to be you, and in particular, what it's like to be a nine. Cool. So, I'd like to start with just how are you feeling right now? Uh, yes, feeling more calm because we had a little offline chat where uh, I got out my nerves, um, but slightly nervous at the same time. Mm -hmm. 
um, and interested to to hear what what uh, what we're going to get into, what we're going to talk about. Cool. Yeah. So, my favorite question to ask up front is just: I would love for you to take me on the journey of your Enneagram origin story. Yeah. Um, man. Okay. The, yeah. So one of the things that will be hard for me is to expound and talk a long time about myself because I don't like talking about myself. <laughs> um, and the Enneagram origin story could be a long story or a short story. Um, <laughs> okay. But so because of the person that we both took our course from Sandy Wilder, um, Lauren, my wife, um, was good friends with, um, him and we at one point were having dinner with them and they brought up the Enneagram, brought out the big wisdom of the Enneagram book, um, and kind of mentioned like we might be this type or this type and, and just sort of piqued our interest a little bit. Mm -hmm. And this was probably three or four years into our marriage, um, and now we're seven years into our marriage. So four years ago now, um, and we just started diving into it and like looking into our types, what took the quiz. And, um, and when I discovered I was a nine, it was like the biggest, it was like someone was reading a chapter of who I was and I've never been able to explain to people kind of like my sense of being in the world. Mm -hmm. um, very much felt like I didn't fit within society mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Um, but the Enneagram 9 chapter was like a blanket. It was like, oh, this is me. I was able to explain to Lauren, like, this is who I am. This is what it feels like to be me. Mm -hmm. And kind of explained actually a lot of like <laughs> a lot of confrontations that we had ha been having in our marriage and, and um, a lot of just sort of like aspects of why I was the way I was, why I was maybe zoned out during certain times, why I was maybe um, not as not as uh, present as as I wanted to be in life in general. So, uh, it was, it was very revealing. Um, and then because of that, we had so many conversations, we started, uh, getting interested in, in classes. So we took the class with you mm -hmm. and then did the two year, uh, program, which, uh, dove into the Enneagram types. And, um, from there kind of became, I guess, Enneagram amateurs and, and use it in our day-to-day -day language. And, um, now I feel like it's, it's led me to a path of sort of like enough self-awareness to where I feel like I can use it as a tool in my day-to-day -day life and, and feel like I'm actually, uh, yeah, utilizing it in a good way. And I feel like I've, I've, I've advanced to some degree in my life with that knowledge and been able to, I guess I would say challenge myself to become a little bit more self-aware and more present as a result of knowing the Enneagram. Yeah. Beautiful. So when you read the chapter, I loved your phrase that it felt like a blanket. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, a, which <laughs> yeah. is a very nine-ish 
sort of comforting <laughs> yeah. to, to yeah, experience it. Yeah. And it's funny because not a lot of types experience reading their type like a comfort. You know, uh, yeah. Like, for example, as a three, when I read the chapter on type three, I was horrified. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because it revealed these really, um, it revealed a lot of things that I didn't have yet accepted into my self-image. Right. But for you, it sounded like there was um, there was a softness and a comfort to it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that partially maybe because I'm already a self-deprecating person, the things that were negative about a nine, I, I tended to already be um, not aware of, but but it it didn't surprise me. It wasn't like it just surprised me that someone put such specific language to it yeah. that I felt seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a shock to me. And that was just like, maybe why it was such a blanket was it was just like, wow, somebody knows me. So like somebody literally wrote a chapter about me and I f- often feel so forgotten or left behind um, mm-hmm. that the fact, the fact that there was like a chapter of a book that was so specific to me just felt so, so comforting. Right. Um, and, and really like made me feel like I did have a place in the world. So I think that that's why it was comforting. Also, I'm a self-pres nine. So uh, mm-hmm. self-preservation, just like, I think anything that, that can bring comfort to me is, is a big thing that I, I tend to, you know, point out in my life. And, and that was, that was one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just cause you brought it up now, I was going to ask you about this later, but can you talk yeah. a little bit about, are you willing to go into what, what is this feeling that you're bringing up that you feel left behind or, um, forgotten? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so one of my modes of being, especially in like new social environments is to, um, I tend to kind of like be more fearful. I kind of don't want to ruffle feathers. I don't want to be the center of attention, especially not right away. Mm-hmm. Um, and so oftentimes I'll be quiet sort of as like a, a mode of being like, I'll, I'll just like sort of shut down and fade into the background. But at a certain point I want to be noticed you know it's like there's there's a desire there to be actually like seen and and cared about Mm -hmm. um i think that's innate in humans in general but if you're afraid to stand out you're not going to get noticed and and tend to the sort of the message that you're nobody special tends to get reinforced because if you're not willing to put yourself out there a little bit then oftentimes you do fade in the background and the social people will kind of all notice each other and uh, it's easy to sort of just fade into the background. And, and, and I think that when you've had that message reinforced over and over and over, even if you're not fading into the background, you start to assume you are and you start to kind of have this self-fulfilling prophecy of like, oh, I, you know, nobody's noticing me or um, you know, this person hasn't asked me a question this whole time I've been here. It's kind of a recurring theme. If we like go out with friends, it's like, oh yeah, I ask a lot of questions, but people don't ask me a lot of questions. Why is that? And so like, yeah, I, I don't, I, I still, there's like 
times where I'm like baffled by why I don't get asked questions. Is it like that I'm not good at talking? Is it that I'm, you know, people are just more interested in talking about themselves or what, what is it? And it, it like, just even now it feels odd to be talking this much. Like this is way more talking than I typically do on an average day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is a lot of talking. <laughs> It probably yeah. feels very short for, for a lot of people, but um, feels like a lot for me. Well, let's see. There's so many ways to go with this. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just want to say, I just want to reassure you, first of all, it's really lovely to hear you speak. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and um, how interesting for you to be on the receiving end of an interview. Yeah. Um, having just yeah. brought that topic up. Yeah. Yeah. So right this moment, actually, you're having an experience of, in a sense, the reverse of that pattern. For um, sure. Which and it is, feels good. It's it's like kind of fun. It's like nice to be there's there's some sense of like somebody cared enough to like think to ask me to be asked questions like that's that's cool. Yeah. yeah. And that's also nerve wracking and, and like not normal. <laughs> right. So there's both. Right. It's there's the yeah. there's the glow of being attended to. Yeah. There's also yeah. the 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 sort of discomfort of the, uh, is terror too strong a word of being in the spotlight yeah no no it's not there there are times where it is is absolutely terrifying and, and times where it's where it's manageable <laughs> right right and, and i think this is definitely more manageable and and i i'm not i'm not sure that that's true for every nine you know it's definitely my my unique flavor of of um mm-hmm. i think there's you know for me in general, being the center of attention, especially in in terms of speaking, has been a point of um, fear and and pretty hard for me throughout my life. So, right, um, that's definitely my my unique flavor of of fear that comes up. Um, okay. yeah, yeah, I do think that's an important point to reinforce too, because I know a lot of nines that are actually very, you know, they're public speakers and stuff like that. Right. So it's not right. This, we're not talking about a universal fear of spotlightness with the nine, but there is a sense of right with the nine, this um, almost willingness to fade into the background that then, mm-hmm. that then ultimately creates a self-fulfilling prophecy that then gives rise to these questions that you brought up. Like, why isn't anybody paying attention to me? Why is nobody asking me questions? Yeah. 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 Be, but be nice. People did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then that, even that phrase that you the, it'd be nice that people did, if you followed that all the way down. So one thing we talk about nines, and I'm being a little pedagogical in this moment, but one thing we, we talk about with nines is their relationship with anger mm-hmm. and how <laughs> with nines, typically there's a suppression of anger or a discomfort yeah. with anger. Yeah. Um, is there, do you experience anger behind that, that statement? It'd be nice if people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Uh, <laughs> In the past, I probably wouldn't have admitted that or or wanted mm-hmm. to acknowledge that, but I think that I've started to develop a little bit of a better relationship with anger. Yeah. Um, and in some ways, it's been nice to acknowledge that because then I realize it is a frustration of mine. So what can I do about it? And then I actually start trying to speak up more or trying to if it's a person that I'm close enough with, let them know what the dynamic is, what it looks like and, and say, Hey, like I've asked you tons of questions, but our dynamic isn't really a back and forth. Can, can I, 
can you ask me questions sometimes? Not maybe so plainly yeah. and, and, and uh, direct like that, but, um, but definitely there's anger there and, and um, anger in general has been, has been a, a, a thing where I, I've acknowledging that I am like have anger and have been, um, I, I don't know how to like phrase this or put this, but like, I've been very angry at times in my life mm-hmm. and it's, it's rare for people to see that unless you're very close to me. Right. Um, yeah, I don't know where to go with that, but that's, that's been, Yeah been true for me for sure Can you talk a little bit about the what that journey's been like for you to to express anger or even to bring yourself to a conversation where you say hey this dynamic is not reciprocal yeah um like what makes it hard maybe is the question well what's interesting now is like knowing that that's a part of me, it, it's less hard to acknowledge that that's true. And I think that it's been healthy because then I have less out, outbursts of anger. Mm-hmm. There's less like buildup. And I think this is a thing for a nine where you hold back your anger or you assume that you don't have it, that you're just like this like beacon of peace and you're just going to like kind of suppress it. And then all of a sudden yeah. you get to this boiling point where things are just like you know, you can't sort of sustain that level of like suppression anymore. And then it mm-hmm. just like explodes. And that, that was my experience, I think. And it, and it still happens from time to time, but it was happening a lot more regularly, probably three years ago-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think there was a certain point where I just acknowledged that that type of anger isn't healthy. I mean, it, it got to the point where I had an outburst where I punched a wall. I punched a hole in a wall and I was uh-huh. just like super, super angry. <laughs> yeah. Um, and something got me to that point. And it was just like, okay, this isn't healthy. Um, and so I started bringing it up more in therapy, started talking about it more, started acknowledging it more. And so now it's easier in little moments to be like, oh, I feel that sense of anger. I feel that sense of frustration. Mm-hmm. Let me talk about it with Lauren. Let me talk about it with my friend because that's going to be so much more tenable than that outburst where I punched a wall. I and see. so I might as well deal with it in that little moment because I don't want to experience that big moment again. Mm-hmm. And then when you um, bring your, yeah, when you bring yourself to that little moment, is there, that seems like a, a, in a it sounds small, but it's not actually a sense of radical shift, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I guess it's practice, like it's a practice behavior and the more I've practiced it, um, the more I've realized that people appreciate it. (laughs) Um, it was very scary at first, I think to bring these things up. Yeah. But I think that because I'm so tactful in the way that, because I'm so afraid of like hurting someone's feelings or like, uh, uh, coming across as, as like an angry person, I think I'm very tactful in how I bring something up. And in fact, like, I think I'm actually pretty, um, gentle (laughs) with, with how I approach my anger if I'm bringing it up in, in, in a more specific instance. And so, um, it actually comes out and, and people appreciate what I've said. And Mm -hmm. 
Um, so I, I, yeah, it's, it's kind of become somewhat of a strength, which, which I like. Yeah. And this is getting to one of the things that we talk about in the, in the high side of nine is this ability to the willingness to go against the grain or to ruffle some feathers or to introduce conflicts in the service yeah. of a greater harmony. Yep. So, you know, the awake nine realizes that conflict is subsumed within, is not opposed to harmony. Harmony is right. inclusive of right. these kinds of, and conflict maybe is even too strong of a word for what you're bringing up, but it's, but there's a way yeah. that, you know, yeah. um, discomfort, yeah, but, discomfort yeah. is a big word for me in that regard. It's like, it's okay to have these moments of discomfort because ultimately it's going to lead to a greater sense of, uh, cohesion or, or togetherness once you actually understand where you're at and, and that person can hear you and you can hear them. And, and that's a better place to be at rather than the like, oh, like it's no big deal. And then there's like tension, this underlying yeah. tension. You know? Right. Yes. The no big deal thing. That's like yeah. sort of a classic nine phrase. Like it's no big deal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. There's, I want to maybe come back to that a little bit, but one I want to bring up something that we talked about right before we started recording here. Yeah. I asked you how you want it to be introduced. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I just realized that I didn't do it actually the way that you, that you asked. So the way that you That's had great. asked me to introduce you was, um, Jamie's a nice guy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Jamie is someone who wants to be uh, a person that people can talk to a comforting presence. Yeah. And, this and something else you said that was so beautiful to me was, um, you said I would want for my legacy to be, um, someone that you can trust. Yeah. Someone, someone you trusted. Yeah. Can you, for sure. can you say why that was important to you? What's, what's essential about that? Um, well, I think it's the, it's the reason that I'm, so I'm now pursuing, uh, getting a degree to become a licensed therapist. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that there's this like, I don't know. I, I, I guess it, it feels like I'm making some sort of impact with my power as a nine mm -hmm. when people feel like they can talk to me. Like, it feels like, um, I have, I know that people have told me enough and, and I feel this innately that I, that I am somewhat of a comforting presence. Like I'm, 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 I'm a relaxing, um, person. And, and I feel like the more that I am able to provide a space where people like people feel like they can reveal aspects of themselves, then it feels like I'm doing something impactful. And there aren't a lot of areas in life where I feel like I can actually make an impact, but I know that that's sort of like very direct and, and something that um, feels like a strength or a superpower as, as a nine or as myself, you know? Yeah. And this is a bit of a leading question too, but that I love your phrase, your, your power as a nine. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because power is a word that we typically in the Enneagram world associate with eights, but I think that it's rightly <laughs> associated here with nines too. There is a power to this quality of um, 
in classic Enneagram language, helping people land. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then emanating that this very comforting, inclusive presence yeah. that allows people to just feel comfortable. They can just be themselves around you. There's like a, almost a magic to it. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 And I think, I think there's like a natural ability there. And I think, um, I'm realizing more and more that like, I may be an easy spot to land. Like it's easy to kind of come to me about something, but now I'm appreciating that there are tools now, like as a, as like learning to be a therapist or learning some theory around therapy, for example, it's like, Oh, now I can actually have tools to help people go deeper than just like that initial contact. It's like, Oh, I'm a safe place. And now I can actually like take it further and, and make it a mastery rather than like, I'm just a, a nice person to talk to. Oh, that is really cool. That's very, very cool. Oh man. Yeah. There's a lot, there's a lot there. Um, so one thing I'm pulling out of that is that this capacity to make other people feel comfortable for you has been a natural, it's like, it's almost a passive gift. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, it's a thing that you haven't really given or maybe until the Enneagram or therapy school, like a lot right. of very conscious thought to, it's not a skill yeah. necessarily right for you. It's right. like, this is just your way of being. Yeah. Yeah. But then yeah. therapy school is helping you. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, yeah, I've had like, I, I think this has been a common experience I've heard from other nines too, where it's like you have, sometimes you just like meet a person and they like, I sold, I, I went and bought a, a roof rack from, from a guy at like off Craigslist, for example. Mm -hmm. And he started like opening up to me about his divorce, like in the like first, like two minutes of like handing me the roof rack. And we just sort of like had this like conversation okay. and then, and like, mm -hmm. I probably said maybe like two things in that conversation and like, mm -hmm. you know, he sort of just like open and I, and I feel like that happens over and over sort of in, in certain circumstances of just like, mm -hmm. there must be a thing about me where people feel like they can just open up, you know? Yeah. But on the flip side, like sometimes the challenge of being a nine is being steamrolled yeah. by people who overshare and don't yes. know and can't sense that you don't want to talk. Yes. Can yeah. Can you talk a little more about that? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's something that I've started to stand up against. <laughs> um, um, <laughs> nice. Uh, but I still struggle with it. It's like, it's probably one of the, my main areas of, of like, of frustration with, with, um, humans is just like being steamrolled <laughs> and, and, um, and so I think that because that, that provides some sense of anger, I, I'm starting to maybe do something about it, but I guess an example I could give is, is I have a friend who, who's an eight, um, who is just one of the funniest, most charismatic, um, confident, uh, people I know. And, and I love listening to this person and, and just, I feel like it's almost as if, um, our relationship dynamic has been I'm watching a, a TV show um, of this friend of mine and it's so enjoyable that for a long time I just let it that dynamic persist and and it, there were times where it was just like this is hilarious I love this guy like he's he's so funny he's talking and like this is great and then it gets to a point where it's like oh wait 
I've forgotten like that. I don't like, I don't, it doesn't seem like I exist in this relationship. Right. And, um, and it would get to points where like, it felt like he was just talking at me and, and we started to get into more like political conversations and more, um, serious topics. Uh huh. And then those topics started becoming rather than just like having this like funny, fun friendship where I was like sitting in the background watching this person, Mm -hmm. it started becoming that person giving me lots of advice, giving me lots of like, Mm -hmm. it it sort of just felt like this steamroll of like everything that, that I need to be doing, everything that I need to be um, thinking is what this person is thinking. And, um, you know, we'd have conversations where I think the split would probably be like, if it were an hour of time, it'd be 55, five. Um, mm-hmm. and so yeah, 55 minutes of somebody talking at you is just like, not, not fun. And, and, uh, it started to become a bear. And, and I think that that's when I started to hit my breaking point with this person and it was a way to sort of practice these conversations of like, Hey, just so you know, this is what the dynamic looks like. And this is hard for me. And, um, and then, yeah, I think because that person appreciates directness, I started to realize that that was actually something I should have done a long time ago. (laughs) Yeah. So take, that's a really good example to dig into for a second, the 55 five. So, one thing that I understand about nines that I hear from some nines is that it's not just that it's difficult to sort of interrupt the flow of someone else's speech. Yeah. It's also that if I were to do that, I wouldn't even know what I would say. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it's almost like looking inside and then, you know, the content of my personhood and my opinions, my preferences, what I, what I might share is just, there's a blankness. Is that something you relate to? Uh, yes. And, and especially so when you have to interrupt someone, mm-hmm. um, right. Because yeah. the act of interrupting someone is uncomfortable in and of itself. So mm-hmm. it's like, for me, when I'm uncomfortable, I start to shut down. So, so if this person is talking for, you know, on a 10 minute thing mm-hmm. and, and I have a thought within that and they're speaking very quickly, that thought comes up and I have this anxiety about it. I'm like, Oh, I want to share something. Mm-hmm. So then I have the anxiety and I want to interrupt, but then it's like, no, the act of interrupting would then cause me some internal conflict. And by that point, whatever I need to share won't come out um, eloquently because I'll be all frazzled by the act of interrupting somebody. So that's okay. just like, so, yeah, overwhelming uh-huh. and, so, so then you just let it pass. There's and that there. whole dynamic happens silently internal. Oh yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. At least for me. Yeah, for sure. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. It's fascinating to me. And it's, and it also, well, maybe the question is what helps you feel comfortable? That's a good question. I I don't know that there's something that somebody has done that's uniquely made me comfortable aside from when I notice that somebody is also um, is okay with maybe a little bit of a slower pace. 
Mm-hmm. Um, that's something actually I appreciate about you, Josh, is, is I think that you, even at the beginning of this, like you sat there and thought about something for maybe 30 seconds of silence and just like, it's like, oh, like somebody who, who actually like works at my pace. That's nice. <laughs> um, and, and so that, that is nice because then if I have a moment of like silence or thinking, I know that that person is also used to that experience and, and that's really nice, but that's really hard to come by really, really unique. So. Yeah. Um, and yeah, go ahead. No, that's it. That's it. Yeah. I'll just put an exclamation point by that because generally speaking, the pace of conversation is set by the faster person. Yeah. And what a lot of nines experience is there are some, you know, maybe faster nines quote unquote, but there's a delay in response. It's like, it's like the nine first has to sense. This is also remember nines are a body type. Yeah. Um, so it's like, and being out of touch with the body, it's like, where do, this is so fascinating to me. Where do, how do you know what you think? How do you know where you're, what you're like, if someone asks you, what do you want for dinner? How do you know what your preference is? It comes mm-hmm. from the body and mm-hmm. for nines in the average state being sort of diffused in the body. It's like, it takes a minute after I ask you for your preferences to sort of recollect themselves or to, to, um, constellate themselves out of the diffusion and then to present yeah. themselves as a real preference. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So, so it's mm-hmm. interesting because without, so there's this dilemma that comes up when relationship with nine is on the one, it's like, it becomes on the one hand, or maybe the question, it's like, what I'm exploring is whose responsibility is it? So there's the, there's the person right. who's speaking with you who can create the conditions conversationally in which you feel comfortable by right. slowing down, by creating space. Um, and there's also from, from your perspective, the ability to interrupt and ask for more silence or what you need. Yeah. Um, so how do you, how do you think yeah. about that dynamic? Um, I know I, I just think, said a lot, so anything. No, no, no. I think that that's, that's like something I thought about actually quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. I think that society as a whole tends to, um, like, it, it just feels like there, there's no stopping this sort of, like, uh, train, I guess, of, like, societal self-importance. And, and I think that that comes with, like, uh, talking about yourself and talking quickly just seems to be a part of that. Um, and so I feel like there's just, I've, it almost feels impossible to meet a person and have them say, take the responsibility on themselves and say, you know, I, I notice you're not getting a lot of talk time. So let, let me pause for a minute and give you some, like, I, I don't think that I've ever experienced that. Um, so I feel like the responsibility is on me. Like there's that anger about the conversation mm-hmm. and it's sort of a, a, just, I guess, the challenge of a nine in this society or a challenge of mine in this society to be in those environments and let people know with my like self-awareness of like, this is my pace or this is, you know, how I work best. 
and sort of set expectations or boundaries around conversations, especially if it's an environment that I'm in on a consistent basis, that seems to be a challenge. Hmm. Um, and then if that, you know, if I present that information and people are aware of it, then I can, you know, have more, either more talk time or like people are at least aware of the dynamic and, and can do something about it. But I feel like if they're not aware, people are just going to talk. Like it's just sort of how our society is. And so mm-hmm. um, I feel like putting that responsibility on myself, whether or not that that is right, is is been most successful. So, yeah, that feels like, I, yeah, I find myself kind of agreeing with you about it. Um, mm. Yeah, although it also is really refreshing. Like one of the one of the things that I think both of us so appreciated about the community that we were in with Sandy and the Educare space is that yeah. the way he facilitated his classes was with this. Like there was so much silence yep. in those classes, and everybody who spoke did so volunteering themselves. But he was very trusting of the silence. Yes, you know that. Yep. Whatever wanted to spring out of that would come. And that's that has a whole root in Parker Palmer's work with the and the Quaker mm. tradition, but yeah, yeah, I yeah, forget that I, I forget mm. I forget how, um, you know, I, I it'd be nice to I I think that I do speak slowly uh, in general and and like it's it's something that people you know really have to be patient with if they if they're actually willing to listen to me like on a longer, uh, in a longer conversation. And so, um, it's easy to forget that that silence is okay. And like, it's something that is also uncomfortable. And, and if I were really, um, you know, having it my way in these conversations, there would be more silence and there would be more, space for that and and people would be patient enough but the moment there is a like a gap and you're talking to somebody mm-hmm. that gap will like somebody will swoop in and insert themselves so so it's really hard to <laughs> to figure that out but yeah yeah okay i'm gonna switch topics yeah um speaking of nines in the body center yeah so one thing i remember that was revelatory for you was getting into rock climbing yeah Um, yeah fitness in general and fitness in general sure yeah can you talk about what that did for you and why that was so important and um i'd love to know yeah so right now like for me it's always there's always been some sort of like sport so i started out as a skateboarder uh then in high school i was a diver and um and then in college transitioned to being a rock climber and then um, sort of lost that and then lost sort of fitness in general. Like there was a point in, in my marriage where, um, you know, I was, we were just like living our life. We had our business and, and sort of got into some really bad shape <laughs> in general. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then got back into rock climbing and got back into fitness in general. And, and there's, I think it's easy that you're so you're you're so susceptible to numbness or I'm so susceptible to numbness as a nine um, that it's easy to almost forget about your body um, to some degree, mm-hmm. which sounds a little five ish, but but it's um, 
when I started working out and when I started climbing and uh, focusing on it more, it was easier to feel things more. Like, I don't know how to explain it, but like, I'm more aware of the muscles that I, <laughs> that I have. And, and, and like when anger comes in or when a feeling comes in, I can feel it more in my body, if that makes any sense. Like, um, because I'm engaging with those muscles, it's like, oh, they exist. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And so right now for me, it's, it's surfing. Like I've, I've kind of lost climbing and now I'm, and now I'm into surfing and, and that's been yeah. the, the new thing and I freaking love it. It's so oh, nice. Fun. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. yeah. So there's this, I love how you framed it too. this spectrum of being numb to your body and sensations mm -hmm. all the way over to being sort of vibrantly full of them, like noticing muscular movements and the way that anger takes root as a sensation in your body. Yeah. 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 Um, are you able to give some words to what it's like when you're going numb? Totally. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't know if you've experienced like, um, you sleep on your hand and like, there's like, mm -hmm. you know, you, the, the, you start to lose the feeling in the hand, but there's that little tingly sensation around it. Mm -hmm. The tingliness to me, I've described it, um, that like tingliness as white noise. Okay. Um, and I think that that's the best way to describe numbness is like this tingly white noise of just like, it sort of disrupts all senses and so it's just sort of like this like it's a it's sort of like this blockage like a like a cloudy sort of tingly just feeling that that starts to kind of take over and so um it makes it harder to think it makes it harder to to act to do anything um that's more specific to like fear shutdown for me at least um there's also numbness in just sort of like, uh, you know, for me, a big thing is, is like watching, I'm, I'm sure this is a thing for a lot of nines is like watching or being on the internet in some capacity, like watching YouTube videos or going on Instagram and scrolling for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, that sort of numbness almost is closer to just feeling like you don't exist, like forgetting you're there entirely. Yeah. And that, that one is like, you're absorbed in whatever content you're in. And it's nice because you, you avoid a lot of feelings and avoid a lot of, um, it's definitely a way to, to avoid hard problems in your life is to, to escape into those spaces. And, and, um, and so that one's like, yeah, just completely sort of like gone. And I'm, I'm, I become the iPad or the, the TV screen or something like that. Wow. Yeah. You know? that's a really powerful phrase. Yeah. And can you talk, are you willing to share a little more about like what it's like when you go down a YouTube rabbit hole or, or, or just give yeah, some, can... like, if I were watching you, what would I be seeing? <laughs> I haven't thought about it that way. Um,
I think I'd be like, yeah, so YouTube rabbit hole is pretty, is pretty common, especially if I'm like avoiding a work project or something like that. And, and I'd be at my desk on the algorithm, like, you know, it's like designed perfectly for, um, for a nine. <laughs> um, you know, you'd see, you'd see me sitting there sort of just like sitting back watching a video Mm-hmm. Um, very like focused on it, engaged in it, but like messy desk, messy sort of. It feels it feels like that somehow like is like you know I'm avoiding lots of like if I have a messy desk and I'm avoiding that. If I have a messy house, I'm avoiding that. But that would be the first thing I'd go do if, if I were to start being productive, to start feeling productive, is start cleaning rather than doing the task that I need to do. Okay. Um. But then yeah, like you know, another video pops up that's correlated, or you just go back to the YouTube home screen and they've got something that's there that's just another layer of like oh that's interesting to me and i'm always telling myself this is the last video i'm gonna watch uh-huh. and then i'll go back to the home screen or click through there's like a cycle and i'm sure this happens to a lot of people but you have like a cycle of apps or or things that you go through and you kind of yep. reset yourself back to where you were <laughs> and mm-hmm. you start the whole cycle back over and it feels like just sort of this autopilot of like oh here's instagram here's a new site here's mm-hmm. um whatever and then and i'm back to instagram and or back to youtube and and watching new videos and starting the whole process over it's it's very numbing and 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 it's one of the things that i think that is hardest for me to overcome as a nine or hardest for me to um stop doing like i just it's so frustrating for me and and there's a sense of like uh I guess depression is the right word for it. Like, mm-hmm. like it's like it's depressing to see myself in that, and and I think that that then probably perpetuates more of it. You know, more of that right. behavior, and and yeah, always always having to figure that one out. It's something I talk about in therapy for sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I'm hearing. Or go ahead. Yeah, go, no, no, I want to hear what you hear. I was hearing too, just a kind of the rhythm of it the like the cycle of apps and stuff that's yeah which is a kind of body term it's like getting stuck in just this yeah um this feedback loop i don't even have the words for it but my body is like i I get it and i've been there also yeah yeah Yeah. so i think maybe we've all been there so Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i think that that's like a lot of nines i know you know, fall into that trap very easily. But I, mm-hmm. I feel like that is also very human now with how accessible entertainment is in mm-hmm. consumption is it just feels like it's, a, you know, a problem with society in general. But yeah. So what's your relationship with, for lack of a better phrase, doing the task you're supposed to do? A very negative one. <laughs> <That is laughs> just, yeah, just, just the the one that I have. I mean, it, that is what causes the, this this like internet addiction, um, this like YouTube addiction or Instagram addiction, whatever it is. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I have a history of like, and it's, you know, it's easy to put this on other people. Um, but I have a history of sort of rebelling against the thing that needs to be done. It almost feels like I'm, I'm like actively rebelling against what I need to do. Yeah. And when someone tells me what I need to do, it becomes even more of an act of rebellion. But if, mm-hmm. if it's myself, it's easy to fall into this like YouTube loop. But if it's somebody telling me to do it, it's like even more so, I just want to like do the opposite. And, and um, if I were to go down why that is, I would assume that it's like, you know, it's, it's an uncomfortable feeling that I, that I am really trying to actively avoid. Um, and there's also some sense of control around rebelling against it. I think rebelling in, in general has been something that um, has been a big part of my life. And, and I feel a little bit more in control when I'm rebelling for some, mm-hmm. for some reason. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, once I'm able to, to get started on something, I can see it through, but it's the act of getting started that is the hardest. Um, right. And there's a lot of overwhelm and frustration around the act of getting started on a project and like anxiety and it's uncomfortable. And I almost just sort of have to like shake myself to get something done and, 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 I'll be th- ruminating on that that to-do item for sometimes days, even weeks. Um, and it gives me moments of panic in my life. If there's, <laughs> I, I don't know if you've ever experienced like that person you haven't texted back or something like that. And uh-huh. like, but you know, you need to text them back. And, and then you like, like have this like moment of panic, like, oh, I need to text this person back. And then like, that's also a trigger to like not do it because somehow like you're uncomfortable about the fact that it's been so long or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I mean, that, that's a very specific example, but, but that's something that comes up often. If, if I've like avoided uh, an uncomfortable text or I have to like let somebody down or um, explain myself in some way, I often avoid it. And, and then um, work tasks in general, like there are work tasks that I hate or um, it's been a really, really, big challenge because i think that um work in general is something that helps me advance in life and and would uh i'm, I'm grateful that i have a, a partner who is so go-getter and work focused that balances me out so much <laughs> um that i've been able to um you know in some ways it's been hard because i've had i've been rebelling against you know my partner telling me something to do but in other ways, I think it's been really good because I see an example of somebody who's a doer and a hard worker, and I'm more inspired by that energy. Um, and so that's been very helpful for me in that regard. Um, and so, yeah, that's, um, yeah, that's, that's work tasks in general. It's, it's just not not an area that I have a good relationship with yet. <laughs> yeah. And this, this word rebellion is really interesting to me too. Cause that's another word that yeah. we would typically associate with something like an eight, but uh-huh. there is with all the body types, this 
fundamental core need of autonomy. You know, I uh, want to do things yeah. in my, I want to do like for, and for the eight, there's a real obviousness and assertiveness about that. But for the nine, they, they seek autonomy by withdrawing or this, uh, this is the sort yeah. of textbook. Uh, yeah. Answer of yeah. It. But there's a way sense. like, I want to do things on my own time, my own rhythm. And if you tell me what to do, there's like this exquisite sensitivity to pressure, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yep. So yeah, that was really, I, that was really evocative the way you shared all that. And I have a general question for you. Yeah. What gets you going? Well, I mean, like I mentioned surfing, uh, earlier and I right. like felt my like excited, happy energy. Um, yeah. I really do get motivated by like problem solving. I think that that, you know, that's why climbing, that's why surfing, that's why, uh, what's the phrase like something like I'm, I'm good at a lot of things, but I'm the master of none. I feel like, um, I get excited by like, like I, you know, I, I'll, I'll learn the guitar up to a certain level and then I'll kind of stop. I'll learn surfing up to a certain level. I'll learn climbing up to a certain level and then I'll stop. So it's like, I get excited by like the idea and, and challenge of something. And, and, um, and I kind of uh, get really like into it, like kind of hardcore. And then all of a sudden I'll hit a, I'll hit a plateau, I guess, mm-hmm. with anything. And, and then, won't take it further. Um, and I don't know what that's about, but, but that seems to be kind of a, a pattern in my life. And kind of the thing that I've taken the furthest in my life is photography because of mm-hmm. making it a career. Um, yeah. and, and I do think, um, excuse me, I do think creativity is, is a part of all of that. Like, I think that there's, um, I get really inspired by like beautiful, um, settings and um (laughs) uh i think the reason video attracts me so much is like there's something about watching something that's like very um peaceful and beautiful that like when i make a wedding video for example i feel like i'm waking up making a wedding video that would i would connect with emotionally Mm -hmm. and so i love that and like i love getting to that end result and feeling like, ah, oh, like this is like emotional, it's relaxing, it, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the same thing with surfing. It's like relaxing, it's beautiful, it's that setting. I kind of think visually and creatively when I'm in sort of like those settings and, and um, so yeah, I don't know. That feels like a little bit of a smorgasbord of like, uh, what gets me going, but I think it's like creativity and, and, um, and then connecting like athletically to something. So so, Mm. something in those, in, in those areas. Yeah. And I'm also hearing yourself Preslin's too a little bit, and I've seen it in in action actually. So first of all, I've seen what you've, what you create and you create really beautiful stuff. It's really, really (laughs) cool what you create. Yeah. Um, you're very, very talented at what you do. And I appreciate it. Um, and one of the things that 
Well, actually, one of the things that, because when I stayed with you guys in California, mm-hmm. one thing that I thought it was fun to geek out with you about was all of your gear and how yeah. like you have your <laughs> spot for everything, you know, yeah. and how much, like, yeah. you like to research backpacks and things like that. Yeah. This is very self-fuzzy, <laughs> but like there's a way yeah. it's almost like, it's like each lens has its own little cozy spot, <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 You know, that's, uh, I will admit that that is, uh, probably because you were, there visiting and you know if if you if you weren't there things would be a lot more of a mess um okay (laughs) um but i do then get stressed out about the mess and and want things to be back in in their order for sure and it's Mm -hmm. much more comforting to have everything in their place (laughs) yeah and also maybe we're hearing a little bit of one wing there too yeah oh yeah yeah Yeah, i think i have a pretty pretty strong one wing cool I'd like to end with one other exploration and it's around yeah. the word empathy gets thrown around a lot with nines. And mm. I'm curious how you experience being empathic. Do you feel like an empath? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I had a, yes, I feel like an empath very much so. Um, and for a while it felt out of my control to some degree, um, in that, like if someone was emotional in a certain setting, especially in like our, our, um, sort of the course we took, if if I saw somebody getting emotional, I wouldn't be able to stop the tears. It would just be like, holy crap. Like I'm seeing this like powerful emotion and I was just like, feel so empathetic and and um i've started to i think probably because of like the group therapy environment started to realize that sometimes that can um it's not necessarily uh always i've started i guess maybe to be able to control it more to some degree if that makes any sense Um, in that, like, I still feel empathetic, but I'm also, um, more trying to be present with the person and listen rather than get caught up in the emotion, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I feel it felt very easy to get caught up in people's emotions and it felt good because I didn't feel emotions as much. Mm -hmm. And so it felt like I was like, sort of like absorbing some emotion and, getting to feel things for the first time. Mm -hmm. And now that I've had enough of that experience, it feels like there are still things that catch me off guard and I do that, but it's more about like hearing a person's experience and really getting to the bottom of people's experience in which I'm using my empathy a little bit more um, to like, yeah, explore um, and understand people better. That's amazing. And one way just i'm gonna put it in my own words just so i understand it yeah you tell me if i'm right it's almost like when you say that your empathy was almost out of your control it was like i'm almost imagining it's like your well we use the word merge a lot sometimes with nice yeah yeah it's almost like you merge with this other person's experience yep like where i end and where they begin isn't really clear yeah there's a kind of there's a fluidity of boundary here and right. so their their emotional experience affects me in a mm-hmm. deep way 
you know, in yeah. a way that I can't really control because the boundary is not up. It's very porous. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 And so part of, we talk about with, with nines, the growth path for nines is, and you just said it very beautifully in your own language is like, what is it like to um, shore up those boundaries and realize I'm over, I'm here, they're over there. Yes. Yeah. Right. And then being able to use empathy as a, this is too blunt a word, but as a tool, as opposed to yeah. a, a kind of almost being taken for a ride by it. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 It's not, it's not very like in, in pursuing therapy, it wouldn't be very useful if I just got caught up in people's emotions all the right. time. And, and, and so it's, yeah, it's been nice to, to not have that be, um, an overwhelming experience when, especially in, you know, in circumstances where somebody's getting emotional about a very heavy topic, um, mm-hmm. to be able to have presence and, and know how to, how to handle it is, is, is nice, but it's still, it's still a challenge. And, um, I find myself getting getting still caught up in it, and and I think that um, another experience where I think nines probably the reason nines watch a lot of content, like I was I was very into movies for the longest, like obsessed with watching movies for a very long time because it, it was it was that same sort of thing where I would just get absorbed into the emotion of the film or something like that and mm-hmm. um, get lost in it, and that was nice. Right. And there's a niceness. Yeah. That's, and that's the, yeah, that word nice. It's, it's come up a lot, right. Yeah. In, in this conversation. And what's interesting to me too, is it's come up a lot in the, in the context of like these ways that you are in a sense numbing out. Well, that's mm-hmm. probably the wrong word, but it's like, it's nice to get lost in a movie. It's nice to get lost yeah. in experience. It's nice to be, there's a niceness even to a YouTube rabbit hole. Right. There's like yep. a, a comfort. Yep. It's like a blanket. Right. Yep. Yeah. 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 Um, so in a sense, I want to, I want to round out this interview just by saying I, we've spent a lot of time and I so appreciate your really beautiful <laughs> capacity to self-reflect on this. Sure. Um, I also, in a sense, find um, that one of the things that we didn't really foreground here is you, for example, in our two-year program, Remember how you you won? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so we've talked we've talked a lot about, and I think it's very useful for people listening the the ways that you numb out or the ways that you um, have us you struggle with doing what you're supposed to do those kinds of the rebellion stuff. But there's also yeah. this part of you that really is has this incredible capacity to commit to stuff and. When I mean, just for everyone listening, what I mean, Juan, is we were invited in this two-year program <laughs> to take on practices for our own self-development. And uh, there were 12 people in the program. And uh, Jamie, you did, I mean, you you took on a lot of practices and really stepped out of your comfort zone there mm-hmm. in a significant way for a long period of time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say the other thing that I think um, has been a reoccurring theme in that regard is, um, when I was a diver, for example, I got most improved, uh, diver and it felt kind of felt like that in, in the Enneagram course, like, like 
I felt like like I got the most improved award at the end of the, you know, and 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 I feel like I hear that from my friends, like, wow, Jamie, like you've grown so much in the past few years, like it's so cool to see, mm-hmm. and I feel like that's sort of like, um, like it's it's maybe it sounds nine to me because I come in sort of like under the radar for <laughs> to some degree and like okay. in the yeah. background. And then the more I get comfortable in an environment and the more that I'm able to lean into what's going on, I feel like then I'm engaged and it's easy to see me go from whatever zero to whatever it seemed like was the end of that course. And, and so that, um, I don't know if that's unique to me or, or if that's um, a nine thing, but, but it felt like some sort of like more like a most improved award. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Huh. That that's that's how I interpreted it at least internally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What what is it like for you to own your coolness? Uh does that exist? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. It's scary. It's scary sometimes because I feel, I'm afraid of arrogance, I'm, and I think that that's wow. something that comes with uh, a one wing of judgment, and and you know that's a whole another can of worms. But sure. um, I I tend to judge arrogance, um, and there's a fine line of like confidence and skill, and 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 um, arrogance and coolness, and I don't want to come across arrogant, probably because I judge it and and um mm. so so there's fear around it and I, i'd like to um you know I, there there have been small moments of embracing it a little bit more and i think it, it comes across like maybe in some of the ways i dress for example it's like a shoe that might be a little flashier or something like that like i think it's cool and i've got this certain taste but like in the past, I'd be afraid to wear that shoe or this cool coat. I have this coat that's like a, it's different colors and it's just like, uh, uh, what is the material called? Um, corduroy. It's a corduroy jacket and it's like uh-huh. got these different colors on it. And then uh-huh. like in the past, I would never wear it because it's too a little too like out uh-huh. there and right. people would notice me, you know? Um, but the more <laughs> I develop a relationship with being okay with being cool, I guess, the more I'm like willing to wear that jacket out in public. And it's such a funny... <laughs> such a funny thing to like talk about, but it's true. It's just like, um, you know, kind of baby steps into like, Oh, it's okay to like be noticed a little bit. Um, that I, that's like a whole nother topic, but like, yeah, for a long time I wanted to wear, and I still do wear whatever is like least noticeable, like, or like what is simple and like acceptable. Mm -hmm. And, and in high school, man, like that was like, a, you know, major, major thing for me. It was like blend in, blend in, blend in. And um, mm-hmm. now it's a little bit more comfort with standing out and expressing myself. So cool. Yeah. I have a, I have a sense as a, my three ishness is like wanting to <laughs> cheerlead you in that. I just feel yeah, cool. like, a, <laughs> yeah. Um, I think maybe I'll just, we'll come to a close here in a second. I'm just, I'm, Thank you for doing this interview. And yeah, yeah. I think, so, I think 
You're welcome. I think so highly of you. And I think, <laughs> you know, your, um, your presence really does have that effect on me, particularly as a three, as an assertive tight, as someone who sort of has a going, going, going kind of energy when I'm with you, mm. you, you definitely have that nine quality of inviting me into that calming landing place. Great. In fact, even, even on this call, I'm experiencing it. And, Amazing. um, yeah, so I just, um, and I love that you're going to grad school to become a therapist. I just think that's so well, cool. it's not, it's not for sure yet. I, I have yet to get in, uh, you know, fingers crossed that I get accepted. If I don't, then, you yeah. know, there are other programs, but this is the okay. one I want to do for, you know, cool. So we'll see. So last question is what yeah. has this, what's this like for you now on the, on the tail end of the interview, having been basically in the spotlight mm -hmm. being asked questions? Uh, it's nice because I feel like there I've been able to articulate myself in ways that I feel satisfied with, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yep. Um, you know, I think that um, when you have the experience of going through something and you come out the other side and you constantly are sort of like analyzing, oh, should I have some, said this better or said this differently? Mm -hmm. I feel like there's a certain point in the interview where I felt like, I got into a rhythm of being able to articulate my thoughts. And so mm -hmm. that was nice to experience that and have the space. And I think you provided an environment that was safe and comfortable for me to do that. So I feel successful and that feels really nice. Um, so I thank you for that. Thank you for, for dealing with my like little anxiety uh, attack there at the beginning of the call. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and, and just like, yeah, being so graceful with your uh, with your tact and and uh, having me on. You're welcome. Yeah. All right, brother. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Really appreciate it. Yeah. I, fe I feel seen and and uh, appreciate having the nine perspective heard. It's a really important one. It's a really important one. Yeah. Yeah, so. it's true. All right.